tonight we want to uh, introduce prayer, providing really a, a foundation for the next uh, three weeks. Um, we'll look at um, how to learn to pray and explore some specifics, uh, specific practices around prayer. Uh, we've also included in your handout tonight a bibliography, which will allow you to take some, some next steps. We'll talk about some of these resources. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few of them that we'll have on display during our break uh, about midway through. Uh, next week, uh, Pastor Skip and Sam, uh, members of our uh, pastoral team, will look at the, the topic of spiritual warfare. Now, there's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer, um, which sometimes we just sort of pass through, which says, deliver us from evil. And uh, it, it suggests, as do a number of passages in the New Testament, I will cite one in particular, Ephesians 6, which is an extensive passage around um, what Paul talks about as the armor of God. Um, that there's definitely this element talked about in Scripture of uh, kind of a battle, the juxtaposing of good and evil. And... Um, and this is something that can be easily misunderstood, and, we, and, we, and it's certainly something that's underexplored, so to speak. And so next week, um, they're going to be kind of unpacking uh, this subject of spiritual warfare. Um, and I think we recognize that there are times where we, we feel like we are spinning our wheels, or we feel like we come up against obstacles, uh, difficulties, um, things that are challenging to overcome. Um, I think next week is going to be a, a great week to explore that and, uh, and to, to get really some helpful suggestions on how do we pray uh, in, in this particular way. In week three, uh, Barbara and I will be back. We're going to be talking about some additional uh, prayer practices. Um, a, a favorite of ours is called prayer of the heart. I won't say any more. Um, but uh, other aspects of prayer like adoration, um, how do we celebrate the Sabbath, uh, contemplation? So these are some things that we are going to explore in, in week three. Now, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to have been working on for really a number of weeks or months with Barbara on, on the two weeks that we're going to share around, around prayer. And I think, it's, uh, I think we're really blessed to have Barbara as part of our pastoral team. Um, like I said, we, we work a lot together in the area of pastoral care, but her Influence and involvement extends far beyond that into, uh, I know she's going to be coaching small group leaders. Uh, she's been a co-leader in the Advent and Lent experiences that uh, I know our women have enjoyed. And so I'm, I'm really blessed to be alongside you in this venture. But let's, uh, let's uh, just open it in prayer. And so, Father, um, we know it's, it's your desire to know us, uh, to love us. Uh, to hear from our hearts, and that's so much what prayer is. Um, we know from, from the scriptures that Jesus' disciples asked him uh, to be taught to pray. And uh, as, as we explore prayer tonight, we, we realize whether we are just beginning or whether or not we've been praying a long time, that we are all um, humbled and we are all students of prayer, lifelong learners. And so we invite you into our hearts and lives and, and say, um, Lord, open up our eyes, 
new and fresh ways that we can communicate with you, that we can draw strength from you, that we can respond to your great invitation to be known. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. It's a privilege and an honor to be sharing with you tonight as a, a fellow learner on the journey mm. of prayer. Um, so to start, let's just look at what prayer looked like in Jesus' day for a moment. In Jesus' day, the practice of Judaism was focused on the temple in Jerusalem. And at the center of the temple, there was the holy place where only priests were allowed to enter. And within the holy place, there was an inner room called the Holy of Holies. Now, this was God's specific, uh, special, very special dwelling place in the midst of his people. And it was a latter-day version of the pillar of cloud and fire that had led the Israelites um, through the wilderness after the exodus. And as such, to enter the Holy of Holies meant that one was entering the very presence of God. And there was a thick floor-to-ceiling curtain, a veil, um, that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And in Hebrew, the word veil uh, refers to a screen or a divider that hides or obscures something. And in that regard, the temple curtain served as a shield um, uh, to shield sinful man from, um, from the holiness of God. And it was a symbolic reminder that the holiness of God could not be trifled with. It uh, was a tangible barrier that kept men from uh, carelessly or irreverently entering uh, God's presence. And in fact, if anybody, anyone except the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, he or she would surely die. So even the high priest, God's chosen mediator for his people, could pass through the veil and uh, enter the sacred place only once a year, one time on the Day of Atonement, and that only after undergoing meticulous preparations. So when Jesus died on the cross, the scriptures tell us that um, the veil of the temple was torn in half, all the way from top to bottom. As a result of what Jesus did, we are now forgiven and we now have direct access to the Holy of Holies. And we can come into God's presence just as we are. And, uh, and that is because of the, the sacrifice that Jesus made, that now we're, we're clean before God, we're holy in the eyes of God, we're white as snow. And uh, today, we're, going, we're here to explore um, prayer as a way to enter into God's presence, okay? So um, I would like you to find one person or two um, uh, people and discuss for a moment, what is prayer for you? What, what is it like when you pray? So in twos or threes, just for a few minutes, nothing really big, just keep it simple. What is prayer like? What is it like for you when you pray?
excited. Let's come back, please. <laughs> That's right. So just a few people. Could a few people um, just uh, volunteer to just say, what, what is prayer? What is it like for you? Yes, Tess. Anytime, twenty-four-seven, communicating with God, direct line. Whenever you want. And you're not okay. waking anybody Somebody up. Somebody else. Yes. Life becomes like a prayer. Yeah, exactly. So when we're in the presence of God, we want more of God. And uh, it separates us from the world. It takes us out of the world. Okay, thank you. Okay, over there. Okay. Okay, it's verbally talking to God. One, okay, Diane. Uh, just hearing from God also. Just hearing from God. Mm -hmm. listening, to listening to God. Okay, one more. It's secure for your insomnia. That's good. That is good. It helps us to sleep. <laughs> All right. Well, what is prayer? It's really a vast question, isn't it? Um, now, I want to submit to you that prayer is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I think we all have a longing to, inside to be in God's presence. And we feel attracted to God, but at the same time, we resist. Uh, St. Augustine said, you stir a man to take pleasure in, pray, in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So we yearn for prayer and yet we hide from it. We're attracted to it and at the same time we're repelled by it. We believe that prayer is something we should do even something we want to do, but it seems that 
praying is something that doesn't always come easy and that there's always something that's standing between us and prayer. How many of you have felt that way? Happens, doesn't it? So we're not quite sure what holds us back. We're busy with work, with family, with school. But our busyness doesn't really keep us from eating or from sleeping or from texting or from hanging out with our friends, does it? No, there is something deeper inside that is uh, holding, holding us back. And I think it's the notion that all of us modern day high achievers have that everything has to be just right for us in order to be able to pray. And just right can mean that our lives need to be perfect before we can pray, that we need to know more about how to pray, that we need to study prayer, and that we need to have a better understanding maybe of the great traditions of prayer. The list we create for ourselves goes on and on. But there's a problem with this approach. And the problem is that we start with the assumption that prayer is something that we can master in the same way that we master an academic subject, maybe, or technology. And mastery of such things puts us in the position where we feel competent and in control. We like to be in control, don't we? And that's an illusion. And especially when it comes to prayer, we are not in control, and we need to realize that. On the contrary, we have to surrender control and just forget about competence. We have to recognize that we are, when, when we are in God's presence, God is God and we're not. And I think that when we're able to approach God and say, Lord, here I am. Please give me whatever you want to give me today. That then prayer becomes a gift and a blessing from the Holy Spirit. <coughs> How many of you think that it is easy to receive the gift of prayer that God wants to give, that, give us? Well, personally, I think I don't believe that it's easy at all. Why is that? Because prayer changes us. When we pray, our prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. When we come into God's presence, we're transformed. We're attracted to the God of love. And that same God is also a consuming fire, burning away everything that is not of God, everything in us that is not of God. And that is what we resist. So we fear this process of transformation because we really don't want to change. And we're afraid because we don't realize that when we are changed, God gives something back to us. And what he gives back to us is our true self that um, which God created us to be, a way of being that brings freedom, 
really. And in order to receive the gift of prayer, it's really important that we stop grasping and holding on to what we have and instead listen to God saying, hey, let go, relax. I have more to give you. I have something better to give you. Mother Teresa says, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. So when we pray, we literally put ourselves into the open palm of God's hand and we listen to his voice in our hearts. So what else is prayer? Prayer also is our response to the Holy Spirit praying in us. I think that God always takes the initiative. We're only able to pray because God first comes to us. Revelation 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. We will do what? We will share a meal together as friends. John 14, 23, Jesus says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. What will we do? We will come and make our home with each of them. So God's not somewhere off far in the clouds. Jesus knocks at the door of our heart. And when we open ourselves to him, he comes in and he dwells within our hearts. So just as God takes the initiative in drawing us to him initially, God also takes the initiative and he awakens prayer in us. And right there in our hearts is where the Holy Spirit prays in us, responding to God, initiating the prayer. So prayer is not something that we do or we make happen. It is our response to the Holy Spirit praying in us. Which now brings us to the next point, that prayer is something that God does in us. Romans 8, 26 to 28 in the message reads, reads like this. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant conditions, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. 
Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So prayer really is what God does in us when we are weak or when we don't even know ourselves or when we don't know what to do or how to pray. When we become aware of God's prayer in us, we have what's called a spiritual awakening. When we get this close to God, we tend to become a little nervous. Anybody experienced that before? I have. Um, we're not really quite sure what's happening within us. And our tendency at that moment is to move away. And we're conflicted. We want what God is offering, but our strong inclination is to resist change. And we resist because we're afraid of what God will ask us to give up, maybe. Or we resist because we're afraid of just simply losing ourselves. So if we want to learn to pray, it's important that we commit ourselves to our relationship with God. We have to make a conscious choice to cultivate our relationship with the Lord who gives the gift of intimacy. David Brenner, in his book, Desiring God's Will, says, being aware of God, turning our hearts and minds to him, holds more transformative power in our daily lives than when we implement our will and try to control our own lives. Turning our will toward God begins with turning our attention. There can be no relationship without attention. There can be no relationship without attention. So again, what is prayer? Now I would submit to you, and this definition is on your handout, that prayer is our conscious and intentional connection with God. It is the outflow of our <clears throat> desire to open ourselves to Jesus' influence and develop an ongoing relationship with the Lord. Let me say that again. It is our conscious and intentional connection with God. It is the outflow of our desire to open ourselves to Jesus' influence and develop an ongoing relationship with the Lord. So that then uh, has a few presuppositions about prayer. And I would say, first and foremost, prayer is presence and relationship. Prayer is relationship with God. In order to maintain this relationship, we need to be present. We just have to be home when Jesus knocks at the door, right? Because God is always present to us, but we're not always home. 
And because we are all created by God in a unique way, the relationship each of us has with him will also be unique. So it's really important that our prayer life reflect who God uniquely created us to be, not some ideal we have created or a copy of someone else's prayer life. And Pastor Paul will talk more about that. Also, prayer is intentional. Henry Nouwen talks about a movement from solid loneliness to solitude. When we're lonely, we look to others to fill our loneliness. When we're in solitude, we look to God to be with us as we draw away from others to be in God's presence. <coughs> now we all have different ways of knowing and registering God's presence. When we have the intention to pray, this intention means that we want to be in relationship with the Lord and that we want to be attentive. Now we don't always feel God's presence because sometimes we're just not at home. <laughs> We're not attentive to either God or to ourselves, to what's going on inside of us. Now, what happens when we pray? <clears throat> Sometimes Jesus touches and moves us, and we feel this movement of the Lord where? In our hearts. And at other times, we feel that nothing is happening. And when it seems like nothing is happening, it is important to keep being intentional about our desires to connect with God. That's really important. When nothing is happening, it's also important to remember that prayer is a gift and that we cannot make it happen. When nothing is happening, it's also important to continue opening ourselves up to God. And again, we can say, Lord, here I am. Give me whatever you want to give me today. Now, sometimes we may feel like we don't get anything. That doesn't mean God isn't giving us anything. What God wants to give us may come later that day, the next day, the next week, the next month or even next year, maybe. So sometimes I think we have a tendency to say, ah, that was a waste of time. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> but prayer is never a waste of time. I want to encourage you there. Prayer is always fruitful. We just have to be patient and wait for the fruit to grow and to ripen. Now, prayer is intimacy. It's important that we develop the capacity to be intimate with ourselves and with God. And it can be helpful here to look at intimacy with the Lord the same way as we look at intimacy with a, a good friend or a spouse. Now, what enters into those intimate relationships? Almost everything. And how does this occur? Through the dialogue that we have when we spend time together. We talk about what is important to us with people who are close to us. 
And in the same way, we can cultivate intimacy with Jesus by asking the same kind of questions that we would ask a close friend. So, for example, what are you excited about today? Or, Lord, what would you do in this situation? Or, Lord, is there anything I need to know? Is there anything I need to be careful about this situation? Or, maybe we are dealing with questions of discernment. We may ask a friend, you know, I have this really big decision to make. What do you think about this? You know, we can invite God into everything, into the everydayness, and also into the significant decisions of our life. So we can ask the, God, the Lord and then listen to what he wants to say. We need to make time for that. We may not get a detailed response, but when we make the time and space to listen, something usually comes to us. It could be a word or a phrase, a picture or a sense about something. Whatever comes to us, it's important not to discount it as a product of our imagination. Why? Because our imagination is something that God has instilled in us. And he uses it to speak to us. I find that uh, sometimes I'm having conversations with people about particular challenges that they have. Um, it could be a fear of something that they have, something that they're really struggling with in that respect, or a deep desire that they have. And usually, um, in sort of the simplicity of it, um, I suggest, have you told God that that's your desire? Have you expressed that that's your fear? And, and offer that to him, just like we would with a friend. Um, but knowing with God, there's, there's even a greater freedom just to say, I'm, I, I'm really anxious about this job interview that I have, and I, I really need your peace, or I'm really afraid of the way this particular thing is going, or I had a, a, a misunderstanding with a friend that's, that's really breaking my heart. And to be able um, to offer that, it's the everydayness of life that we're able to go to God with and saying, this is what I'm struggling with. And, um, and I'm, I'm even thinking, too, that, that it's, it's also something that we can invite each other to pray into, that we can say to one another, you know, those of you who have relationships, uh, you know, people that you're close to, small groups that you're in, that you can say, hey, would you, would you agree with me about this? This is something that I am struggling with. This is something that I am praying to God Four, would you pray with me? And there's just uh, a great sense of, and I think sometimes the companionship of God can come from each other. As you were sharing earlier, I was thinking that sometimes I pray in the morning and the answer comes in the words of one of you. It may come from a kind gesture from, the one, of, from one of you, that the way that God wants to answer our prayer doesn't necessarily come Words up, words down. 
You know, sometimes it happens as we move through our day that God is ordaining uh, meetings, conversations, a smile um, from someone, and God speaks to us in that. Um, yeah. God is good. God is good. God is good. So prayer is intimacy. Prayer also is surrender. We need to recognize that God is in charge. And that's the other side. <laughs> it's hard to do sometimes. When we're in pain or in suffering, it's hard to surrender. And sometimes it can be helpful to look at surrender as yielding. You know, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come alongside us. And if we bring our heart, our mind, our emotions alongside God, it may be easier to yield to God's will and to God's purposes. And uh, for some of us, surrender is, is a scary thought. So, um, but it is beautiful at the same time, because it's sort of like a picture. It's like walking down a narrow alley to a door that's in the distance and it's dimly lit. And in order to get there, we need to let go of our fears. And once we're there, we need to open the door ourselves. And what we will find at the other side is just a beautiful and expansive path that leads to love and to freedom. So that can be helpful to imagine surrender as something like that. And this brings us to our last point. Prayer is faithfulness. We have to be faithful to our relationship with God. When we run away, God is always faithful to us, and he draws us back into his presence. Now, faithfulness is recognizing and working on that which is happening within us and how we respond to God's prompting. And our relationship with God is just as complex as the, as the relationships we have with those who are closest to us. When we care deeply about people, there are misunderstandings, there can be negative feelings, and uh, there can be conflicted feelings. And it's the same in prayer, really. But God will meet us where we are if we invite him. We just have to invite him. So at times when we don't want, don't want to feel, um, we, we sometimes avoid prayer because of feelings like grief or anger or shame or guilt, maybe. And uh, these feelings don't really have to be an impediment to prayer. On the contrary, we can use our feelings as an opportunity to uh, pray and to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Okay. Amen. So, now we um, would like to do an exercise of prayer with you. 
something um, that's called devotional reading of scripture. So let's go back to Jesus' time. That's what they did at the temple, right? People congregated, all came together at the temple. They didn't have their own Bibles or two or three or four or five or how many Bibles. They came together to listen to uh, the priest read the Holy Scriptures, and that's how they knew the Word of God. We can still do that today, and we will do it as a group exercise now. And you can go home, and you can do it on your own. Okay? So this isn't something in your handout, <laughs> in so many words. Um, we actually could probably provide some, some notes for people um, to kind of take this home and, and try this exercise. Um, I think one of the, the special things is that there are, um, there are these wonderful traditions of ways of reading scripture that, uh, that we're kind of rediscovering. Uh, ways of reading, ways of entering into the story, ways of the story of scripture becoming our story, of seeing ourselves in it, of feeling like we are experiencing it. And um, this is a, it's a wonderful, wonderful exercise. And so, yeah, you may want to just kind of clear your, clear your laps if you've got things in your hands and just be free and available to, uh, to be guided in this exercise. Yeah, you don't need anything. So just put everything <laughs> just on the your floor. heart open. Mm. Just your heart open. Yeah, just your heart. <laughs> so yeah, you don't want to worry about things falling on the ground either. So just, you know, just don't hold on to anything. And I uh, invite you to uh, get comfortable in your chair. You know, just move around a little bit and find the position that is uh, best for you. And place both of your feet on the ground. Just let your hands rest on your legs and close your eyes. Now slowly become aware of your breath. Our breath is one of the most precious gifts from God. It literally means spirit. So let's start by taking some deep breath into our bodies. Breathe in through your nose and breathe right down into your stomach. Just feel your stomach expand and continue to breathe deeply and comfortably. Breathe in and breathe out and breathe in and breathe out. And take a few moments to let your body relax wherever it has accumulated tension today. And slowly become mindful of God's loving presence both around you and within you. Sit and take in the comfort and peace that the Lord's presence brings.
And now I invite you to listen to the word of God from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. I will read the scripture three times and we will have periods of silence between the readings. Now during this reading, a word, a phrase, or an image may stand out to you. Just notice whatever touches your heart and stay with it and savor it. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to call out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people scolded him and told him to keep quiet, but he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he is calling you. He immediately threw aside his cloak, jumped up and went to Jesus. Then Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Master, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he could see, and he followed Jesus along the road. So we will now have a moment of silence and I invite you to listen and silently repeat a word or a phrase that attracts you. So I will read the scripture again and invite you to keep listening. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar, 
Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to call out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people scolded him and told him to keep quiet, but he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying, Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. He immediately threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and went to Jesus. Then Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Master, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he could see, and he followed Jesus along the road. So in this next moment of silence, I invite you to reflect on a question. And the question is, where does this reading touch my life today? I invite you now to listen one more time to the scripture. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to call out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people scolded him and told him to keep quiet, but he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, 
get up, he is calling you. He immediately threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and went to Jesus. Then Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Master, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he could see, and he followed Jesus along the road. So we will have one more little moment of silence now. And I invite you to reflect on the following. I believe that God wants me to, there is a blank that you fill in today or this week. I believe that God wants me to today or this week. And now we will close our prayer time with a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, let's all say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Now it's time for a break, I think. Can we take a four or five minute break? I'm going to talk uh, pretty personally in, in this section. Um, not to say that you will learn to pray like, like I have, although some of the practices that are incorporated into what we're going to talk about are, per, are ways that people have learned to pray for centuries. And the practice that, that Barbara led us in uh, so beautifully is one of those. Um, it's so life-giving to listen to Scripture, uh, to pray Scripture, to find ways to weave our voice with the voice of Scripture. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but Pathways of Prayer, I think at its heart, prayer says yes to our need for God. So at, it, it's, at its very basic, it, it says, yes, I, I need God. Uh, one writer has described prayer as being myself in the presence of God. I think sometimes we can complicate it, but it is, it is being myself and living my life and talking about the life I'm living in the presence of God. Now, this is not passive at all. For us to be authentic is hard work. We know that socially, um, and those who are introverts sometimes know that painfully so. Um, but to be ourselves and to listen attentively takes intention, and it is hard work. In prayer, we do not speak about God. We speak with God. In prayer, we are speaking with God. Now, we choose to be present to God who is always present to us and to respond to the one who continually wants to communicate with us. Um, prayer is words. It is silence. It is speaking. It is listening. It is surrender. It is openness. It is questions. It is seeking understanding. Now, prayer is connected to our temperament and our experience. On the back of your handout, there is a wonderful book that I borrowed generously from, where are you? Three quarters of the way down, Chester Michael, I think it's Chester Michael, maybe it's Michael Chester, and Marie Norrissey wrote a, a book called Prayer and Temperament, Different Prayer Forms for Different Personality Types. And there's another piece I read uh, by uh, Dennis Cabrera. And he talks about, um, it's sort of a Myers-Briggs, and this is really what it is. It is recognizing that we are, we are who we are. Our personalities are what they are. And we are all different, and wonderfully so. So an extrovert likes to pray with others. The introvert likes to pray alone. The sensing person likes to be able to experience things like a beautiful sunset. The intuitive person connects unconsciously with the beauty of the universe and people. 
The feeler likes to experience something in prayer. The thinker likes to learn something in prayer. <clears throat> Some desire more structure. Others desire more of a, a feeling experience. Some of us enter more into our thoughts. Now, as a foundation for understanding how we are drawn to prayer, it is important to know that our personality and our experience impact it. So depending on what kind of church you grow up in or don't grow up in, what variety of experiences and different styles of worship, people around you who pray, how do they pray? These are all experiences that shape how we enter into prayer. Makes sense. Um, it's difficult for me to pray in a way that I've never seen before. But also to realize that the way I pray reflects me the way someone else prays and it reflects them and it isn't a more spiritual, less spiritual. But our, our shared experiences become gateways for us to learn more about prayer and to expand the way that we pray. Now, the fact that we are wired the way we are or we've had this certain experiences that we have should not limit us or isolate ourselves from spiritual disciplines that we haven't known, ones that might nourish us in one way or another. Let me, uh, let me just really quickly put out a few, a few of these pathways as it reflects on temperament. Now, some of us love to love to love, love to love God out of doors. Some of us never feel more alive than when we are out in nature. It's the way we are. And maybe we've invited someone who's not wired that way into the great out of doors, and we've watched them suffer in great boredom <laughs> and said, never again am I going to lay out this feast in front of this ungrateful person. <laughs> but it's who we are. And for some of us, you know, nature whispers or sometimes it shouts to us who God is, that we connect, that we have that sense of God's presence in nature. Now, others of us um, love God with our senses, and that might include something of beauty, something of wonder, El Capitan or the Grand Canyon. A beautiful piece of classical music awakens our senses. A sunset on Maui. Ah. <laughs> but we are, I, I mean, I, I realized for myself, and I connected with a little book uh, called, it's a tiny, tiny book, it's a classic. What makes it a classic? Little guy, Brother Lawrence. This is a book that's been around for centuries called Practicing His Presence. He was a chef who uh, loved to pray. And I realized in my love for cooking that I very often have a sense of God's presence while I'm cooking. Not that my cooking is that good, but <laughs> maybe it's too much garlic, um, but I'm connecting with God. Anyway. Yes, yes it does. Taste and see. That's a great 
scripture for those of us who want to love God with our senses. Others of us are, are drawn to ritual, to symbols. Um, to pray prayers that have been prayed over the centuries, like we shared in the Lord's Prayer. To realize that we are connecting with people around the world through many languages who've prayed this prayer over the generations. Um, some of us are, are drawn to the rhythm of ritual, um, the repetition, the, the richness that we sort of delve into by going over something again and again and finding new meaning there. Others of us are drawn to solitude, to simplicity. Uh, we enjoy stepping away to hear God, going on retreat, not needing to say a word. Others may love God through standing up against evil, that there are causes to support and justices to confront. Others of us never feel more alive than when we care for others and we sense God's presence as we are caring and serving others. Some are drawn to celebration, to dance, while others just want to sit at the feet of Jesus, like Mary uh, of Bethany. And there are others who are drawn to loving God with the mind, a desire to study, to read, to understand doctrine, uh, to strengthen their faith in that way. And they never feel more close to God than when they've learned something new, caught a glimpse in their study about God. Now, we may see ourselves really in a number of places, but it helps us to understand other people and how they hear God. And I remember being in a small group, and I was really quite amazed as, as we all shared, and especially over, over time, and I realized that there were patterns in people's life of where they experience God. There were some people who were always experiencing God in, in relationship. That God was showing up all the time in, in relationships with other people. Uh, surprise sort of interactions with strangers. That, that, that just, that was where God was showing up. And other people, it was typically gazing out a window at a beautiful scene uh, that they, they were aware of and were responding to uh, God's presence. This uh, second section in your outline, finding our voice, learning a language. Um, over the, just the next few minutes, I, I want to talk a little bit about how, how, do we, how do we learn to pray and what, what resources, what companions, so to speak, are available for us as we seek to learn um, how to pray. Um, some of these, as I mentioned earlier, are ways that the church has learned to pray since Jesus' day. And others are um, companions I've found kind of along the way. Um, I want to begin with, with the Psalms. And you, you, can almost, you can almost turn anywhere in the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are a, a book of prayer. They're a book of worship. Um, I would invite you, if you've got a Bible, to uh, Psalm 61, 62, 63, in that, in, in that 
in that section. Do we have more Bibles? Anybody need a Bible? Now, the Psalms, they function as prayers themselves, but I would also suggest that they are invitations to other prayers. The the Psalms witness to the ways that the the collective community of faith has always prayed. Um, And we have used these words and reused them because they are adequate for us, because in some ways we have, never, we have no better words ourselves. These initial writers understood that these words must not only be thought, but spoken. The church over the years has resonated with these spoken words. In many ways, they have gotten, they've gotten it right But they also invite us to pray these words afresh, to add our words to build upon this tremendous foundation that is laid before us. We pray them in our own time and our own place, from our own experience and our own faith. These become our words. And so... um, For example, I look at Psalm 61, where the psalmist David says, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. And I I pray, God, that you would hear the cry of my heart, that you would listen to my words, um, as inadequate as they are, as... Lord, just as a humble expression of where I'm at today. And even though I feel like I am at the end of the earth, I feel isolated and alone. I know that I can cry out to you. And when my, when my heart is overwhelmed, I ask you to lead and to guide me uh, to this rock that is higher than I am. Give me a strength that is not my strength. Lead me, I pray, through the difficulties that I'm facing. This is just a way of, of taking these words and of, of praying into them. I love Psalm 62, the way it begins. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. And I might pray to the Lord, Lord, I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to make this happen. And I realize that I've been doing it in my own strength. And so I silence my lips and I wait for you. I know without your strength, without your power, nothing will change. I lean on you, my rock. I hold on to you, the one who has saved me, who has delivered me. You alone are my trust. And so these these words, and and really, you you can open them up anywhere and just 
Interact with them. That's my invitation. Um, interact with them. Sp speak these words. I mean, as I began to pray the Psalms, I prayed them as they are. I didn't feel sort of <laughs> this latitude, this license to sort of pray and weave my words alongside of it. And I would say to you this way, I, I think I expressed this to Barbara when we were talking about this. I almost look sometimes at, at scriptures and, and whether or not it's you know, scriptures or whether or not it's um, prayers that other people pray that, that are uh, life-giving to you, that it almost becomes sort of, the, if you've ever looked at music, there's the lines, right? There's the structure that allows you to hang the notes, right? So imagine in a way that, that these tools, these sort of companions for prayer, are those lines. And maybe some of the notes are written, and you get to write some of the notes that reflect you, that are an expression of your story, of what you are walking through. And they kind of hold it together for you, right? I think it's a, it's a beautiful image of how we are invited uh, to pray. Um, just really quickly, I wanted, I picked three passages from the New Testament. Uh, these are prayers of Paul. Um, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 18. I'll just give them to, to you and just say a few words. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. The beauty of Paul, I think it's this Ephesians 1 passage. Sorry, this is a tangent. I'll confess it's a tangent, but I'm going there anyway. If you looked, for example, I just write this down. This is the passage before that, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Um, I think it's one sentence. It's a big run-on sentence. But Paul... Um, has a way of connecting us with our life in Christ. One of the reasons why I'm, I'm drawn to Paul's prayers, and I'll add Philippians 1, 3 through 11 to this list of three. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I think one of the reasons I am drawn to Paul is because his prayers and his writing reflects the life and work of Christ. And very often, he strings together phrases and adjectives and all these sort of ways to describe Jesus and his work and the difference that it makes in our lives. And so when he prays, his prayers um, are anchored in the life of Christ. And, and I am confident that if these prayers worked for Paul and expressed what it means for us to live in relationship with Christ, they're, they're a good place for me to land. They're a good place for me to walk. And so those are three, those are three passages. I mean, sometimes he's praying for understanding and to know the hope of his calling, to know the greatness of his power for, for us who believe. I mean, there's just life-giving words. So praying Paul's prayers. Number three, Praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, it was wonderful that we had the opportunity to pray that together. I hear that too. Um, now it's worse. Um, 
for many over the centuries, the Lord's, the Lord's prayer has guided really millions. I mean, to think of that in and of itself is kind of staggering that so many people, both in corporate setting, like we pray together and individually, have entered into uh, the heart of God through this prayer. Um, from the opening words where he says, Our Father, we are invited into relationship. We are invited into that intimacy that Barbara was talking about, to a sense of belonging, to a, a sense that we can trust God, our Father. Uh, we move into worship in this wonderful phrase, um, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name, aware that God is other, that God is holy, that God is worthy. How many of you have seen the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? How many of you have read the book? Okay, never mind the analogy. Um, we'll keep going. No, for those of you who did, there's a line in the movie. There's a line in the movie. It's talking about Aslan, who is a symbol of Christ. I'm just going to give you the short story. Aslan, the lion, who is a symbol of Christ. And there's a line in the movie where uh, Tumnus the fawn says... Aslan is no tame lion. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> the point is... Um, <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> that when we come to God, um, we can be casual and we can come and climb to God's lap like a father but I think we also need to get the fact that he is holy, that he is not like us, that he is strong, that he is almighty. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And so we are, we are invited. We are invited to bring our requests um, P.T. Forsyth um, says that there are two things at the heart of petition or, or request. One is love and the other is trust. Love and trust are at the heart of when we request something from God. The love of the Father and our willingness to name our need in trusting hope for His action in our lives. The love of the Father and our willingness to name our need in trusting hope for his action in our lives. And then he goes on to say, I love this, love, love, loves to be told what it already knows. Love loves to be told what it already knows, and it wants to be asked for what it longs to give. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. And I think those words beautifully express <coughs> God's invitation for us to ask. Um, we're kind of out of time. Um, praying the prayer of others. I will just mention this little book, which has a, been a friend to me for some time. It is, uh, it is also a classic. A million copies sold. <laughs> That's like saying, well... It's the top-grossing movie of all time. That for it, therefore, it is good. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. Anyway, but this is actually um, 
there are morning and evening prayers that he's written. And for me, it, it, um, it's called A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey. It's on your bibliography. What I appreciated about praying these prayers and, and adding my words to it, I realized that there were a lot of things that I could pray, um, that there are ways that I could express what was in my heart that I didn't, I didn't yet have words for. And so I, I, found a, I found a mentor, I found a teacher, I found a guide who could say, you can pray in these ways. Um, so anyway, that's a good little book. Um, what else, what else? I think I've run out of notes. I think I'm done then. Um, anyway, there's also, there's also a, um, kind of a guide to prayer that I included in your handout. It is from a book called Venite. I think I'm pronouncing the Latin right. Um, it's a book that looks like this. So you're wondering, OK, how did we get from one page to this? This is just. Um, He's got these kind of guides for like different times of the day to pray. And then you kind of add in scriptures that are the scripture selections for the day. Anyway, I thought this was a, a beautiful kind of guide to prayer that you might find helpful. OK, we are gonna, we're going um, uh, to close with a song. But I, just, I wanted to just give us a couple of minutes and the team can get ready. Uh, do you have any questions? I mean, we've, we've tried to lay a bit of a foundation to dive a little bit into some particular practices to kind of bring alongside you um, some, some ways to pray. But I just thought, any, any questions? Matthias. Supplication. Supplication. Yeah. Is that a good pattern? It's a great pattern. Yeah, it's right out of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in many ways. But that's a it's a good format. So adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. right? Thanksgiving. And supplication, which is when you present requests. Yeah. Yes. Colossians 1. So these are all little letters all together in the New Testament. Colossians 1, 9 through 18. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Yeah, that was another thing that you should read. I don't know if it's a prayer. It's just good stuff. I told you it was a tangent. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. So Colossians 1, 9 through 18. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Interestingly enough, he began all his letters with these extensive prayers for these people, these churches. Yes.
right. Yeah, the question is um, uh, uh, phrased like a, a prayer of explanation um, when you're asking God why. And I think, you, you know, we can find even in the Psalms, um, Jesus prays. It's, it's the, he actually prays the Psalm from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a question of why. And my, my encouragement would be uh, one, to pray what is in you, to, to feel like, and I think one of the things that the Psalms do is it give us permission to pray these kind of, the prayers with question marks, like that in, invite us to explore the feelings that we have um, in terms of, you know, God's plan. You know, what are you doing? This is how I'm feeling to, to express all of that. Uh, to God, I think is is really important. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with what Pastor Paul is saying there. I think the um, why questions are certainly questions we can ask God, um, but I think a lot of times we won't get an answer. <laughs> we won't get an answer mm. for a very, very, very long time. And in the end, we have to ask ourselves, is it really important or is it really helpful to me to know the answer to that question? Because ultimately, God is God, and mm. we're not. You know, it sort of comes down to that again, mm. I think. Uh, that's been my experience. A lot of my why questions have never been answered. Mm. But I, I think mean, the asking, I think the asking moves us toward God. Yeah, I think the, the, the expressing the, the feelings surrounding yeah. The yeah. questions is really important. Yes. Maybe what is it, what is it that I'm to learn from? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. be a good question, yeah. Respecting your time, um, I, I think we'll stick around and field questions after, but I thought we could close with this song, which is Psalm 25. <laughs> 